Hi, I'm Anastasia Busas. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture. It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure skate. Player's own voice is all about the person inside the performance. When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, listeners. Just so you know, this episode has a bit of cursing in it, just in case you're listening around younger years. People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that. I'm Harvinder Radva. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. Harv, I'd like to introduce you to Phelan. Phelan, meet Harv. Harv, meet Phelan. We are currently on a a Google call, so it's not really meeting, but whatever. No, but this is how we meet now. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Phelan. How are you? Hi. Nice to meet you. Likewise, likewise. Phelan's a playwright and also the co-host of The Secret Life of Canada, also on CBC Podcasts. And uh, in researching for this episode, uh, Are You Full Native?, I talked to Phelan a lot about her experiences. So Phelan sent me a play she wrote called Salt Baby that was based on her own experiences. And the very first scene is an incredibly cringy date. And Phelan is going to read that for us now. Uh, I'm going to get my partner, Patrick, to help me out with this. Uh, He's going to read the character of Alligator, and I will read the title character, Salt Baby. Cool. So, what else are you? You're not full, right? How much Indian... Shit. Sorry, is that, like, totally offensive? Uh, native or aboriginal or... Any help here would be much appreciated. I say Indian, but I don't like people to say that until we really know each other, you know? First Nations seems pretty safe to me, but everybody wants to be called something different these days. Okay, so how First Nations are you? Because you know, you don't really, you know, you don't really look like one. Uh, First Nations. Uh, I'm about three quarters. How does that work? Um, Well, my mom is half Mohawk. Her dad was a Mohawk chief, a hereditary chief. He was married to a white woman, and my dad's Tuscarora, full. So, fractions, right? Three quarters, I guess? Uh, uh, The government doesn't really agree with my math. What do you mean? Uh, In the opinion of the government, if you have one parent with any white blood, it decreases the rest of your Indian blood. So, by their standards, I'm half, I think. You should find that out. I'd want to. Well, I'm Indian enough to get the card, right? Oh, no way! Can I see it? Um, all right, but my head looks big. Even better. Uh, Screw you. (laughs) (laughs) And cut, I guess. (laughs) And and, and, and in the theater we say, and scene. There we go. Are we allowed to clap? No, snap. Yeah, let's... (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, Phelan, is this a true story or you just made this as a drama? This is a... uh, You know, I used my own experience growing up, you know, on and off the reserve. I'm from Six Nations, so about an hour and a half southwest of Toronto. 
Uh, and there's a lot of me in there, for sure, uh, and a lot of my own experience. And then I dramatized some things to sort of dramaturgically fill the piece out and sort of make it work uh, story-wise. But yeah, like when I was when I was born, my family affectionately gave me the nickname Salt Baby because I had really fair hair, fair curly hair. Uh, my skin was light. Uh, and so they called me Salt Baby. <laughs> okay, because salt is white? Yeah. Okay, okay. That's clarifying. <laughs> Yeah. So when Salt Baby gets asked if she's full or if she like how much she is or how native she is, what is it about asking if someone is full or or looking at their identity in terms of fractions that's problematic? Well, because I mean, and, and it's in communities as well, right? Like it's um like being considered full blooded. It just it doesn't compute with the way that our societies functioned you know, prior to colonization and contact. Mm. We didn't measure things like that. You were part of a community. You were part of a group of people. And that was your identity. When you take that away and you, uh, if you put it in the hands of the federal government, they are allowed to then define your identity um, and how much of, how much a part of your community you are. Mm. And who gets to make those decisions, right? Full, full, it, like it makes it sound like a contest or something. Right. In that moment, the guy on the date, Alligator, is super unsure of what words to use. And I've definitely had moments where like, I haven't known the right word. Um, so what words do you use? Yeah, well, I try to be as specific as possible. Mm -hmm. So when I'm identifying myself, I say Mohawk and Tuscarora from Six Nations Reserve. I'm Bear Clan. Right. So I think, you know, if you can be as specific as possible when you're talking to someone about who they are and where their people are from, because that's the thing that I think we should be focusing on or, you know, at least acknowledging is the distinct cultures, languages, societies of the over 500 different nations on this land. Right. And if I'm speaking sort of, you know, in a more generalized sense, I, I go indigenous. But I mean... Last 10 years, five years, two years, the words change, right? It's kind of an evolving thing mm -hmm. because it used to be Indian because that's built into policy and law. Then it changed into native and then you get aboriginal. Are any of these terms derogatory? Um, I mean, and this is where it, it gets tricky, right? I know I say Indian. Mm -hmm. I say Indian at home. <laughs> I say Indian around if they're non-indigenous that I have to know them very, very well before I'll use that word in front of them because I can't normalize it. But if I'm back home on the res, we'll ask, is he an Indian guy? <laughs> right. So just for the record, yeah. if anybody calls me Indian, I'm fine with it 100%. Great. I'm not taking any offense. <laughs> that makes All sense. Right. That makes sense. Do we have to get into different kinds of Indian? <laughs> well, so, we say he's Indian. And they're like, mm -hmm. dot or feather? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It's this Hollywood notion that we're all stuck with headdresses on, that we got dark skin, that we all have dark eyes, you know, but that's not what it means to be Indigenous. I mean, I'm of the mind that ancestry alone is not sufficient. Identity doesn't come from a test tube full of spit. A lot of people's main exposure to Indigenous people comes from the media and pop culture. And that's not always the most accurate representation, which can be why people ask these kinds of questions. We're speaking to Ganya Diohorn, 
She's a Mohawk actress from Ganawage, near Montreal. You might know her from her role on Letterkenny, or from shows like Hemlock Grove and Barkskins. We'll be talking about her identity as an Indigenous woman, and about challenging Hollywood stereotypes. Can you tell us about a time someone's asked you, are you full Native? Um, yeah, most of my career, <laughs> uh, most of my life, um, because I'm, I happen to be a light-skinned, light-eyed, light-haired Native person, and my dad is non-Native, so I guess when I was younger, I looked at myself, or I referred to myself as half, and referring to yourself as half kind of doesn't really f make you feel like you're whole. Mm. And so I've started referring to myself as mixed, mm -hmm. which is kinder to myself as well. Mm. Um, I've been always told by my family, by my mother, that I'm an Indigenous woman. I'm, I'm a Mohawk person. And I was raised on my reserve. I always went back and forth between my father in Ottawa and my community. I was went to school in my community. I was named in the longhouse. Mm. And for me, I'm, I'm a Mohawk person, you know, and it was always other people who were telling me that I wasn't, you know, and it was, it was mostly when I left the reserve and when I was went out into the world, I guess. Um, are most of these people or few of these people coming from some uh, bad place or they are just curious or... I think they're just coming from an ignorant place. Okay. Mm. So non-natives, how do they know that even to ask that question? So well, I, I'll give you an example. If I see an, a white person, uh, I normally don't distinguish whether this person is from... Uh, Eastern Europe or Western Europe or Canadian born or whatever, you know, a white person looks like a white person uh, to me and maybe it's just to me. So uh, uh, looking at your pictures, you don't look uh, native at all or maybe I'm looking at some of those pictures where you don't look native. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious, why would they ask that question? Well, you think that I don't look native. Okay. Like that's your perception, right? I mean, what, because I don't have long flowing dark hair or I'm not, you know, you, your assumption of what an indigenous person looks like is from 200 years ago. Mm, fair. I think it's about non-indigenous people educating themselves on what we actually look like and what it actually means to be an indigenous person. Mm -hmm. It's not about what we look like. It's about how we practice our culture. We speak our language, the way we were raised. Mm. And it's not about our about our skin color. Mm -hmm. So I hate that statement and I, I don't like, mm -hmm. you know, what you just said. That's really triggering for me, actually. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, people ask me that question because of my name. My name is Ganyeh Dio and I've always been adamant about using my full name. I actually don't like being referred to as Dio, mm. but I do it just, you know, whatever. It's like a nickname, but I prefer when people call me Ganyeh Dio. And my mom always said to, you know, be patient with people, be patient because they don't all speak your language, be patient and teach them how to pronounce your name. And I found that that's been a big, it builds character, definitely having a name like mine. Hmm. So people might ask me that, and I'm a proud Ungwehunga person. So if somebody questions my identity, I tell them where I'm from and I tell them that I'm in fact a Mohawk woman. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I want to apologize. I didn't mean to trigger you. Uh, that was not trying to uh, insult you in any way or sh shape. I was just trying to be curious that why would anybody ask that question? I was going from that side. What's 
irritating is when somebody, when you say, because you don't look native, it's, if you look at my entire family, if you understood the history of who the people, the Mohawk people or the indigenous people on the East Coast are, if you understood that we mixed since the 1500s, then you would understand why that, why a lot of us have light eyes, have light skin. And it's this Hollywood notion that we're all stuck with headdresses on, that we got dark skin, that we all have dark eyes, you know, but that's not what it means to be Indigenous. It isn't. Mm. Um, my sister and I were talking about this before, and she was like, I've been asked, you know, like, oh, so you don't look full Native. And she's mm -hmm. like, well, she's like, I asked the person, like, what are you? And they're like, oh, I'm Polish. And it's like, oh, well, how come you're not wearing your, you know, Polish headscarf or like, what? you know, it's like, mm -hmm. we're not like, sorry, I drive a car. I, <laughs> you know, I live in a house. I don't live in a teepee. I don't live in, a, you know, so like what, maybe it's up to you to adjust your idea of what a full or what an indigenous person is and what they mm -hmm. look like and what they do, you know. Mm. How do you normally react when people ask these questions? questions. Because if I can share something lighthearted about myself briefly. Sure. sure. <laughs> because I wear a turban and a lot of people have asked me, oh, what is the significance uh, of the color? Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I say, well, you know, it depends on my mood. So if I'm wearing a blue, uh, you know, I'm calm, so you can approach <laughs> me. But if I'm wearing a red, uh, please don't approach Stay me. away, yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, the funny thing is a lot of people have bought into that. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's something like indigenous people, we do that too. Like just like because you're just so sick of the questions and stuff like that. Like my mm -hmm. mom, I remember she said, she's like, somebody asked me a long time ago if, uh, oh, like you're, you're native. Oh, you're an Indian. Do Indians still grow feathers out of the back of their heads? Whoa. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, but we cut them off now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, see, like, you know, like, because like, sometimes it's just like. Oh, whatever. Yeah. So sometimes it's actually it's it's yeah. good to give a bullshit answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not even worth <laughs> it. <laughs> you touched on this a bit earlier, but could you elaborate on where you think our ideas about what it means to be indigenous come from? Um, I mean, I think that people's assumption is that you know, like once they put us all on reserves and everything, we were kind of forgotten about and kind of put in this time capsule of like, we all look like what we did 200 years ago, 300 years ago. And the fact is, is that we're actually pretty adaptable people. Yeah. My people, um, my grandfather, all of the men in my family were all iron workers. They built New York City. Wow. Um, but then, like, you know, obviously it's it's Hollywood. So their assumption of what we might look like is Pocahontas mm. or the cigar store Indian. As an actor, when you're looking for parts and stuff, do you come across these perceptions, these Hollywood perceptions of indigeneity a lot in, like, you know, looking for work for yourself? Oh, my God, yeah. So, like, when I graduated theater school, I basically didn't think that... I would um, ever be cast as an Indigenous person mm. because I've never seen an Indigenous person on screen who looked like me. Right. I've only ever seen the ones on a horseback or a drunken Indian and they've all got dark skin and dark hair and everything. And so for me, I never saw somebody who looked like me and was Indigenous, but 
Now I've been working as a professional actor for 15 years and probably about half my resume are Indigenous roles. And cool. early in my career, I there was a couple of times where I was like, are you sure you want me to like, I don't know, like I'm auditioning for this and it says like dark skinned, curvy native. And then I ended up getting the role because I was, I guess, the best one for the job, you know, and that was actually an Indigenous um, director. That was Jeff Barnaby. So like I said, other Indigenous people recognize Indigenous people and they don't question our identity and our looks and everything. And so he, right. you know, cast me and slowly and slowly I found myself getting, you know, more roles where I get to play Indigenous characters and I get to kind of represent light-skinned Indigenous people and because majority of us look like me. And, um, you know, now I'm on a show on Letterkenny and I play the, you know, the head of the natives and over the seasons have become... Like, I'm kind of just like one of the people now. Yeah. It's not about the fact that I'm Native. I'm just like sort of there. We're just we're just there. Right. Yeah. I get like messages from people who are like, my daughter saw you and sees you on TV and and she's light skinned and she's got blue eyes and she she's so happy that there's somebody on screen who is indigenous and looks like her, you know? That's wonderful. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing something right. Is what I, And, you know, it's a slow and steady climb, <laughs> mm. you know, over the past like 15 years. And every little part is a small kind of a little battle, right? You know, and mm. a little victory. And um, I mean, it's not what I set out to do when I went into theater school or anything. But like, mm. you know, by being cast as an Indigenous person, I realized like, wow, like I am sort of helping in my own way, mm. in my own very small way, helping to change through pop culture, people maybe adjusting their perception of what we look like and how we act and mm -hmm. things that we talk about, things that we do, um, you know. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, this episode, we really want to dig into like what makes up Indigenous identity beyond kind of these misconceptions like, you know, it's about your blood or it's about mm -hmm. your heritage. So to you, like what makes you feel more connected to your culture? I can only speak for myself because I don't know what it's like to be a victim of the 60s scoop or adopted right. out mm -hmm. or somebody who was raised in the city. But think for me, it was really important that I, I mean, like I said, I went back and forth between my mother's and my father's and bo both yeah. equally loving families. Mm -hmm. My father's like a Canadian man. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was very, my mom's first language was Mohawk. And so I grew up like around the language. I grew up doing the festivals and the ceremonies and stuff and going to school on the reserve mm. and growing up with my cousins. For me, that that's what ties me to my people is growing up with them and being close with my family and close with my extended family. And I feel safe there. I feel mm. I have friends who are even in Toronto, like, and I didn't do it on purpose, but one day I was like, kind of like taking an intake on like who my friends my close friends are like my circle there mm -hmm. and they're pretty much like predominantly indigenous people <laughs> nice. that's who my circle has become there and it's almost like we kind of like all gravitate towards each other because we value community I think so my tie to my community is what I feel like makes me indigenous mm. What would you say to someone who wants to ask you, are you full native? 
or thinks it's okay to ask that question? Oh, I don't know. I think I would say, what does full mean to you? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, what do you mean by full? You know, mm-hmm. are both of my parents indigenous? No, I have mixed blood, but I'm I have ties to my community, and that makes me full. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, when the moment is right and the sparks fly, dating can be magic. But even the most romantic connection can get a little awkward. And the dog's kind of watching us at this point, and so it started to lick my ear. True Dating Stories is the new CBC podcast that explores the messy corners of romance. Real-life tales told by the people who live them. I'm tied up on this dude's bed, and there's nobody around to help. True Dating Stories is available from CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Phelan, when you were growing up, how did you understand your own Indigenous identity? It took a long time for me to, and I think I'll still always struggle with it, like not looking enough. Uh, which is why I wrote this play. I don't know. I think in a lot of ways your first play is your therapy play. So you just try and get over all your stuff in it. <laughs> but I wrote that as a way of like trying to like grapple with some of these things. Because this, you know, the, this Salt Baby, the play, was all about me trying to decide if I would take a DNA test to figure out mm. how much blood I had. Mm. And my dramaturge um, and the director of the play, Yvette Nolan, she said, don't answer that question. Mm. She was like, do not do that test until you get to, until you write the play. Mm. Because nobody wants to see you know the answer. <laughs> That's really funny. It's the best piece of writing advice I've ever gotten. They're like, we want to see you find the answer. So by the time I got to the end, I said, I don't need to do this because I know where I come from and I know who I am mm-hmm. going home. And, you know, I'm like, I'm going to cry because I'm like thinking about my dad now. <laughs> But getting to like go home and be with my stepmom and my dad and my siblings and my grandma, <laughs> my grandma right now. Ugh. But like, I know who my cousins are and I, you know, and so they are who I am and they're where I'm from. Identity doesn't come from a test tube full of spit. There's the sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> We wanted to explore more about this idea of how genetics intersect with identity in Indigenous communities. So I spoke to Dr. Kim Tallbear. I'm Kim Tallbear, and I am a citizen of the Sisseton Wapitan Oyate, which is a tribe in South Dakota, Dakota people. And I'm also an associate professor in the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta. She studies how genetic science relates to notions of race and indigeneity, and has written a book called Native American DNA. Tribal Belonging and the False Promise of Genetic Science. So this episode, we're talking about the question, are you full Native? Why do you think a non-Indigenous person might ask this? 
Yeah, I think often people will ask a question like that um, because they have a stereotype in their mind about what a native person looks like. Mm. Um, so one of the things that often uh, that I notice in my own community is that those native people who code racially differently, who might code as white or black, uh, like my daughter codes as white and my niece and nephew code as black, I think they get asked that question a lot more than I do because they look at them, right? And they don't look like a stereotypical Plains Indian in a headdress. Neither do I. Right. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of that question has to do with uh, people just not having a sense of the way that uh, indigenous peoples moved around a lot, both pre-contact and post-contact. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've done that for a long time. And then, of course, colonization made us move around in different kinds of ways. And I think asking that question and expecting people to look racially pure, quote unquote, or like a stereotype mm. is actually really shows your lack of historical knowledge. Uh, and it sh probably shows a lack of contact with indigenous people in the contemporary world. And I think it's also a subconscious denial of colonialism. And colonialism was all about moving us around, dispossessing us from our lands, uh, mixing us up together, different tribes or nations within residential schools. And so it's a really uninformed question, actually. Hmm. So what does it mean, you know, beyond just this idea of amount of ancestry and racial identity? What does it mean to belong to a nation or a tribe? Uh, belonging is defined on several levels. For indigenous people, it's not like biological ancestry doesn't matter, right? Mm. Of course, it matters because that's one way of making kin. So I give birth to a child, that's my kin. But right. we also have really valued ways of making kin. We have mm. ceremonies among many indigenous communities to adopt relatives ceremonially. Mm. So... I think what's most important for First Nations or tribes or other indigenous communities is adhering to our own criteria, whether those are official bureaucratic citizenship criteria or whether those are more informal cultural uh, kinship rules about belonging. And those things overlap, but they're not synonymous. So I can give you an example. Right. There are certain uh, genealogical documents that have to be produced in order to get citizenship. So much like uh, my daughter has to produce her birth certificate uh, to get a U.S. passport, you also have to produce a birth certificate that goes into the tribal enrollment office if you're going to get enrolled, if you meet that tribe citizenship requirement and they would also have the parents' genealogical documents and all of that. Right. So tribal citizenship can act a lot like uh, a nation-state citizenship. Mm. But now we have we have many people in our communities who are not eligible for citizenship or membership. Uh, my own daughter's not eligible because she doesn't meet a quote-unquote blood quantum rule, and we'll probably come back to that. Right. But her, everybody knows who her mom is and who her uncles and aunties are and who her grandma is. So as soon as they ask her what her name is and she says, oh, my last name's Tall Bear, they'll be like, oh, are you, you know, I know your, I know your your uncle. I know your grandma, mm. right? And so they can ascertain belonging that way. And so that's quite often why we ask people, who are your relatives? Who do you know? We're trying to figure out not their authenticity as much as how can they place you in their broader social world. Hmm. I wanted to talk about some of your work uh, related to DNA. We've seen such a rise in DNA testing kits in, it seems like the past couple of years, uh, like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. What effect has this had on indigenous communities? Oh, gosh, that's a really complicated question. Um, I think the implication for indigenous communities has more been that genetic ancestry testing and that phenomena that's been around since the early 2000s now, uh, but mm -hmm. really kind of peaked in uh, the kind of public interest in the last few years. Right. It has really shaped 
the geneticization, if I can use that word, of indigenous uh, identity. So it's really increased the way that people think about being indigenous as a genetic condition. I think it's mm. it's really, and that's unfortunate. I think uh, instilling that idea in the mind of the broader public about indigenous um, social life and history. Now, tribes and First Nations do often use DNA parentage tests or DNA profiles. That's really quite different. It's a common paternity test. Mm. But all Indigenous uh, peoples were related. I mean, there's, you know, a small set of uh, founders in the Americas, right? We're related all the way from the Arctic down to the bottom of South America. Um, mm. We're genetically related. So genetic markers are not tribe or people specific. So really it does, it is going to come down to genealogical documentation if you're going to find out which Indigenous people are in your ancestry. So kind of coinciding with this rise, it would seem, but also I'm sure since before then, there are lots of non-Indigenous people who claim a small percentage of Indigenous ancestry. And then they kind of, uh, they use that in their identity. They, it seems like a form of belonging uh, that they claim. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm of the mind that ancestry alone is not sufficient. Mm. Uh, again, I talked about the fact that indigenous people consider ancestry and we make kin biologically, but we also um, make kin in other kinds of social ways. And we hold all of those things together as, as being together important. Mm. I mean, when people say to me, oh, I, I'm native, but I don't know which tribe or how do you, what? <laughs> mm. You, you, that's not possible. Right. Because then all you're doing is talking about ancestry. Um, but if you don't have living relatives, uh, a, a living society to try to reconnect with, that's really important. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. You know, if somebody came up to me and said, uh, I'm from Peoria, Illinois. Is that a town in Illinois? I'm just making that up. I'm a Peorian. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, and if I was from Peoria, I might say, oh, who do you know? Which high school did you go to? Who are your grandparents? Uh, well, I've never been there. My my great, great, great grandfather was from Peoria. And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. That's interesting. That's interesting. But it doesn't make you a Peorian. Like, where'd you grow up? Right. Who's your family? You know, I just don't get it. Yeah. So in, in a sense, I think it's, I really think it's a claim to originality so one can not feel implicated in colonialism. Right. And I'm not saying people understand that's what they're doing, but I think that's the broader context of what they're doing because it just makes no sense on the ground to, to be making a claim like that when, <laughs> so... So it's it so it shows you that they're more focused on genetics or ancestry than they are focused on the actual community hmm. and what it means to be of that community. Now, when you're somebody who was adopted out in the 1960s and you probably still have biological siblings or cousins or aunts and uncles, that's a real community to connect to and they're going to want to know. I mean, communities want those people back quite often, right? Hmm. We do have ways and indigenous communities are really interested in in helping people who are victims of the 60s scoop or, you know, separation from family and community because of residential schools, very interested in helping people reconnect. Um, hmm. That that's That's different. Right. You mentioned blood quantum earlier. What is blood quantum? It's fractions on a piece of paper. <laughs> hmm. Determining somebody's blood quantum, quote unquote, this is not a scientific enterprise. Right. If yeah. There's no examination of anything physiological going on. We're talking hmm. about symbolic blood. 
this very ancient idea that circulates around the world, and it's it is rendered as a fraction on a piece of paper in a bureaucratic document. Uh, historically, for example, when federal agents and agencies had to manage groups of Indians, that's the word that was used then. Uh, they want to turn Indians into farmers and citizens and, you know, civilize them. They mm-hmm. said, okay, we're going to give all you Indians that are a member of this tribe 160 acres for each head of household, which is always a man, and then the wife gets 80 acres, and for each of the children, you get 40 acres. Well, in order to do that, in order to manage land and and um, allot it, they had to have a list of Indians, members of the tribe, to give the land to. Mm-hmm. And so... The other th- part of that kind of legislation was if you were quote unquote full blood, you didn't get full title to your land because you were perceived as not civilized enough to manage it. Mm. Uh, if you were half blood, quote unquote, or less, you were perceived as more civilized. This is the racial thinking of the day. You're more capable of managing private property. So you were given title to your land. Mm. So these fractions are inherited throughout the generations. And this is all part of that history of managing natives on reservations and managing their land. And that's when blood quantum comes into being. It's not something that we have had pre-colonization. So is blood quantum still a part of how membership is determined nowadays? Different tribes in the U.S. will have different rules. Um, Some of them don't use blood quantum at all Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of those fractions. All they do is say you have to document that you have an ancestor on the base role established in 1890 and we'll give you citizenship in this tribe. You know, so that's lineal descent, right? Hmm. Some of them, like my tribe, uh, uses that lineal descent, but they also use blood quantum, my tribe. But this is where race comes in. It's really interesting. They want me to have one quarter blood quantum, but they don't make it all be Dakota. Hmm. That's kind of strange, right? They accept my shine in Arapaho blood quantum. In fact, if I had to have one quarter Dakota blood quantum, I wouldn't meet the criteria Hmm. because I have so many different tribal lineages in my family, even though I was born and raised on a Dakota reservation. Right. But because my grandfather was considered quote unquote full blood shine Arapaho, I have one quarter shine Arapaho blood on paper. Hmm. They add that to the three sixteenths Dakota (laughs) on paper and I'm almost (laughs) half. So this is how I meet their one quarter blood quantum. So it's really interesting, right? right? But it is true that 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 idea and that word is an artifact of colonization and tribal governments and First Nations are in a really, really difficult spot, right? It's like being between mm-hmm. a rock and a hard place, trying to work with these colonial ideas and this entire colonial system mm-hmm. that's not ours. But now we we can't simply opt out of it necessarily either. Right. Phelan, instead of questions like, are you full native? What do you wish people would ask you instead? Uh, Where are you from? Who are your people? Mm -hmm. What's your nation? Mm. Sounds pretty easy to be able to switch to that. Oh, yeah, it kind of is. Like, where are your your people from? I I like the way it sounds. Yeah. (laughs) I had somebody once say to me, you, you must be Mm. Spanish. (laughs) And I was like, no. He was like, Portuguese? And I was like, nope. He was like, Italian. And I was like... No. And he was like, where are you from? And I was like, here. And he said, but before here. And I said, here. And I think we have to, (laughs) everybody has to just recognize that there were people here. Right. Um, That would help. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cool. Good, Good first step. Yeah. And I mean, 
this identity stuff is all tied to the Indian Act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you want to understand this, that's the place to really look, especially if you're an indigenous woman, because we've been disenfranchised through the Indian Act. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think it's something that everybody who lives in Canada really needs to spend some time with because it exists and it doesn't just impact us. Your podcast, actually, The Secret Life of Canada, did an episode about the Indian Act. Do you want to tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. So we we did an episode on the Indian Act for Secret Life. And I did it because I wanted to know more, because I realized I didn't know enough about it. I wanted to find out where it started, why it started, um, and then how it transformed, because it was, you know, it was a part of the military, so that Canada could get Indigenous people to fight alongside them in, in wars. Mm. I definitely learned a lot from that episode. Oh, good. We'll make sure to link to it in our show notes and on our website for people to take a look at if they want. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phelan. This was amazing. Much appreciated. Yeah. And especially getting in the getting in the closet and getting everything out for us too. Super appreciated. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadwa. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Big thanks to our guests, Phelan Johnson, Ganya Dio Horn, and Kim Tallbear. And an extra special shout out to Phelan for all of her help with this episode. We also want to thank Gawanahere Devery Jacobs for her help with the episode title. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Rial McGregor. You can find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also make sure to visit cbc.ca slash IQ podcast for a full transcript and more resources. The fierce folks behind Inappropriate Questions are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our digital producer is Judy Ziyigu. The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer, and the executive producer is Arif Narani. An inappropriate question is like a test tube full of spit. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.